And you're back with Encounter with God here on Faith FM, and mm. we are about to have another clue for our quiz. Lawson, no one right. snapped this one All up right. yet. Yeah, because we've only given away one clue. True. All right, we're about to do a double clue. Double clues coming up. You right ready here. for this? Okay. So the first one was I was called Hananiah before my um, before being given the na- uh, new name. Okay. Mm-hmm. Azariah and Mishael were two of my friends. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> my cousin is coming to uh, visit this weekend, what? and her name is Michelle. Okay, well there you go. And now next clue: after ten she days, super nice. After ten days, it's of- Michelle's cousin, so from the US. <laughs> there you go. After ten days of eating vegetables, I looked healthier than those who ate royal food. Okay, come on, guys. Do you know yep, who yep. this is? one 843 is the number, or text us on 0491 This can only be one of six names. Yes. And a couple of them we've already talked about. It can't be those ones. Yeah, it can't be, can't be. It's the, not Michelle. In fact, we gave his name, like, because he... He, he was called Hananiah. Yeah, yeah, that's one of his names. It can't be that one. <laughs> so, what's his other name? What's his other name? <coughs> He's also known as... Name. Blank. <laughs> Blank. I'm going to have to be very careful else. I'm going to accident... Yeah, I'm going to like blast. say it. <laughs> vomit it out. And then Mon will call me from Kenya to give me a hard time. I just yep. know that she will. Yep. She'll be listening over there just to see if I slip up and give the clue for the quiz, mm-hmm. the answer for the clue away. But we yep. won't do that. We will instead go to Revelation chapter 9 where we are studying a most fascinating prophecy. And as we were going through Revelation chapter 9 yesterday, we were noting a number of identifying characteristics. Yes. First of all, we note the principle of repeat and enlarge. This is going to parallel your seven churches and seven seals. In other words, the time period from the time of the Apostle John through to the time of Christ. Mm. We noted that the introduction of the prophecy, which takes place in, uh, begins in chapter 8 and verse 2, the introduction of the prophecy outlines for us that this is the close of probation on the Roman Empire and that under the first four trumpets, Western Rome collapses, which now leaves three trumpets left, and two of those are going to deal with Eastern Rome, and that's what we're dealing with here with the first two woes. Then we talked about a king who would unlock a desolate wasteland from which would come smoke that would spread right across the earth, uh, permeate everything, um, and that from that desolate wasteland there would be locusts, uh, an animal, a creature is a symbol of a political entity, and we're talking about you know small individual tribes led by chieftains um, who would come out, and their power, their unity was found in their prophet. Mm. We found that they would torment the world for 150 years, mm-hmm. um, during which time they would not be able to kill the world. They could only torment, and so we find that they would torment the Roman Empire but not be able to destroy the Roman Empire for 150 years, and that during this time, true Christians, those who had the seal of God, would generally be protected. Yeah, well. So that's a bit of a summary of what we have here in Revelation chapter Nine. <clears throat> then we go back through and we look at the um, identifying characteristics. And what we find is this. Was a desolate wasteland unlocked? And did what came out of that desolate, desolate wasteland permeate the whole world? Yes. 
that did happen. A war between Eastern Rome and the Persians uh, resulted in a Pyrrhic victory in which Eastern Rome was so weakened that it had no defense. Mm. At the same time, you had Islam rising to power in the Arabian desert, a desolate wasteland. And because of the weakness of Eastern Rome, Islam came out of the desert and it permeated the whole world. Their their power and their unity being in their prophet. Mm. What we've got to look at is a couple of very specific statements that are made, very specific um, criteria that this prophecy gives. Mm. Uh, We're going to find those in uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. Please, Lawson. Okay, the Bible says in in Revelation chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. Let's just start with verse 4. Verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass or trees or plants, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, thank you. So there's a very specific command given here, Mm -hmm. isn't there? Yeah. So as Islam rises to power, the Bible says a very specific command will be given to them. Now, uh, Muhammad himself did not really uh, contribute significantly to the military rise of Islam. That was left to, um, to the person who succeeded him, Abu Bakr. Mm. And what is significant is what Abu Bakr, how Abu Bakr uh, conducted his army. And I want to read to you a specific command that Abu Bakr gives. Yeah. Listen to this and follow along in verse 4. Okay. When you fight the battles of the Lord, destroy no palm trees, nor burn any fields of corn. Cut down no fruit trees, nor do any mischief to cattle, only such as you kill to eat. Sounds a lot like what it says in verse 4. They was commanded them they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree. Mm. It's almost like Abubekah has taken this straight out of the Bible and said, yeah, this is a good prophecy. Um, This applies to us, and God has commanded me to give this particular command, and so I will give this particular command. Wow. But it goes on in verse 4. And it says, but only those men who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. So they were to hurt those men who do not have the seal of God in their mm-hmm. foreheads. Okay, so Abu Bakr continues. Mm. Once again, almost quoting out of verse 4. As you'll go, you'll find some religious people, let them alone. But then you'll find another sort of people that belong to the synagogue of Satan, who have shaven crowns. In other words, the top of their head is shaved. Mm. A tonsure, it's called. Be sure you cleave their skulls and give them no quarter till they either turn Mohammedans or pay tribute. Wow. So it's pretty heavy right here. And basically what happens is when you, when you study the history of what took place at this time, Islam became a scourge to Western Christianity. Mm. Western Christianity was, was really what caused uh, Islam to rise so rapidly to power because of their rank paganism. Mm. And Islam was a reaction against that. Yeah, um, Islam sort of looked across there and, and, and saw Christianity and said, this is incredibly corrupt. We will have nothing to do with it. Uh, they have created thousands and thousands of gods in that they have created thousands and thousands of saints that they pray to for intercession. This is paganism. And we will pray to one God mm. and one God alone. 
In fact, the interesting thing about Islam is it was set up to be a much more simple religion than oh, yeah. the religion of the time. Because Catholicism <laughs> was just so rife with pagan tradition that they were just like, well... We're going to do a few things. You're going to pray five times a day and we're going to... And when he took... When, when, when Abu Bakr here... Sorry for butting in. Yeah, it's fine. No, keep going. Oh, it's just they were just like, yeah, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to pray five times a day. Our, our like religion is literally called submit. Like Islam means submit. So we're just going to submit to God, pray five times a day. We have some laws on health. And, um, you know, the rest of the, the, the Islamic law is mostly just civil, like, like Sharia law is, is like similar to the civil law that we find in the Bible. But in terms of their commandments and their actual theological teachings, like, yep, we pray this many times a day towards yep. Mecca. Believe in Abraham and Moses and Jesus and, you know, all that kind of stuff. All that. It's like actually theologically very simple because that's what they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. They're also just sick of corrupt and complex paganism. They're like... Yep. And this is exactly why they said when you meet these guys with their shaven crowns, the, 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 the tonsure on the top of the head, these are the pagan ones. They've, you know, because this was obviously something the pagan priests used to do. They'd shave the top of the head mm. in honor of the sun. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if the sun honored the top of the head too much, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds dangerous to me. Yeah. And so, you know, they are identifying... Uh, Western Christianity, corrupt Western Christianity, mm-hmm. and saying these are the guys to go after. Is there's a whole other kind of religious person out there? Primitive Christianity, basic, simple Christianity. He says, um, "Let them alone." Mm. If you study the Man, history, so much interesting. If you study there. the history of, of Islam's rise to power, you will find that Eastern Christianity. Uh, where you had Bible-believing, salvation by grace, Sabbath-keeping, you know, primitive Christians, they were protected by Islam. Mm. So much so that their headquarters was in Baghdad. The headquarters yeah. of the Eastern Church was in Baghdad there for, you know, hundreds of years. Uh, fascinating history. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And it's significant here that the Bible refers to those who have the seal of God. It's not talking about just sort of any form of primitive history, but primitive Christianity, but those who have the seal of God. And we talked about the seal of the living God in Revelation chapter 7. I identified that as the Sabbath. Mm. What you'll find is in the East that Sabbath keeping was what Christians did. Yeah. You know, the, the, the church that was in India, the church that was in China, the church that was in Japan, uh, the church that was in Armenia was a Sabbath-keeping church right through until the 20th century. Yeah, wow. You know, without any break from the time of the apostles right the way through. There's a continuous history of Sabbath-keeping right through all of these churches. We're actually going to Ethiopia soon. Which is which has si- another, another place where you have a continuous history of Sabbath-keeping from the time of the apostles until now. Yeah. It's until awesome. the 20th century, which is, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. And so uh, if you study the history of Islam in Ethiopia, mm. it's fascinating because uh, Islam arrives in Ethiopia. There were refugees, Islamic refugees who mm. arrived in Ethiopia. They were well treated there. And as a result, there has generally been, pe- been peace between Islam and Christianity in Ethiopia. Yeah. Not so much between Ethiopia and Eritrea. 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. at all. It's yeah. <laughs> a pretty horrific history there. Yeah, there was one time when Roman Catholicism came down and said, "Hey, you know, you need to be serving the Pope," and the Ethiopians were like, "Oh, maybe they're right," and that lasted about nine months. Yeah, yeah, and they like booted those guys out. It's like, no, you guys go home. We we have a much purer form of Christianity yeah. right here um, yep. than what you've got up there, and and uh, you know that was a very very brief period of their history. Um, <clears throat> But, you know, these are places on the outskirts of the empire where true Christianity was preserved. Mm. And uh, a lot of it was because of, you know, the protection that was afforded to them by Islam. I've heard it said that we have the Bible today because of Islam, because of that protection. Islam protected the Bible that was, uh, the, the Bible was primarily available in the East. The Bible was not really available in the West because in the West, you know, Western Christianity did everything they could to eradicate the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they eventually, you know, they, they translated it into Latin, they locked it up, they created the death penalty for learning the, lang- the Greek language because they didn't want people reading the Bible in uh, in a language that was readily available, yeah, uh, in which Bibles were readily available. Whereas in the East, they had you know massive missionary centers at places you know like Odessa and so forth, where they sent missionaries out all over the world, and they translated the Bible into many different languages. You know, your Ethiopic Bible, your um, Celtic Bible, you know, all, all of these Bibles being translated in the East and spread around the world. And mm. then, of course, when Islam comes along and dominates the East. The reason that our Bible exists today is because it was preserved and protected by Islam. Yeah, wow. It was it was recognized as being something that needed to be preserved and protected. Mm. Whereas in the West, it was a different kind of story. It's like, no, we're going to turn the Mediterranean into an Islamic lake, and uh, this is the this is the most corrupt form of Christianity that we've ever seen. Mm. And uh, and and basically, they became a, a tool of of. Persecution for you know <laughs> yeah wow and the other thing too that is is just fascinating when you study the history of the Reformation of the 16th century, Charles V, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, really wanted to crush Protestantism, mm. and it was just a small seedling, just a sapling. It is just like a snap it off and it's gone. But every time he reaches for his sword to go and smash Protestantism, he's got Muslims on his border. Yeah. You know, turn around, fight those guys off. And because of their constant incursions into um, the Holy Roman Empire, Protestantism was able to flourish and grow. Yeah. And what else is interesting, too? Oh, I give so much interesting history here mm. is that many Protestants who were persecuted fled to Islamic countries mm. where they had freedom of religion. Yeah, wow. You know, I wish that countries like Syria and Turkey and places like this today that are so divided and split and at war and so forth would study their history Mm. and they would go back to their roots of true Islam and get rid of all this radical rubbish that um, has just destroyed those countries and destroyed so many lives mm. um, and uh, you know get, get you know just just get rid of all of that and go back to how they were you know back during the middle ages when they were actually more civilized than western Christianity and more advanced you know politically in that they had things like separation of church and state mm. and religious liberty you know even when they held Jerusalem they held Jerusalem as a place of pilgrimage for people of all faiths they recognized that three of the world's great faiths 
saw Jerusalem as a place of pilgrimage, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Yeah. Christianity comes along and says, no, 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 no. Only Christians can go there. <laughs> yeah, rough. You know, who is the who is the worst here, historically? Yeah, who was the instigator? Now, there yeah. are horrific things on both sides. There are some of the worst atrocities that you can imagine on both sides of this equation down through history. Yeah. But we need to be more aware of... Uh, we need to have a more balanced view of history than what we have right now as we find ourselves in the midst of the war on terror. Mm. In the midst of the war on terror, it's very easy to assume that everything Islamic has always been bad. That is not the case. Mm. Yeah, fully. I, I think it just goes to show that, like, it, it can work. Like, the principles are there. It can work. It can happen. And, it, and it's ultimately, like, an, another one is, like, communism. Like, Communism has the potential to work, but it never will because it's humans. Like that's right. humanity just literally ruins everything. Like yes, that's why capitalism is probably the maybe the best off because it's like best of a bad bunch, best of a broken bunch because it's broken as well. Because it's like <laughs> you have the least moral responsibility in capitalism. <laughs> Therefore, it's like <laughs> it's like okay, this is probably going to work the best because you know the, the least moral responsibility compared to you know. A theocracy or a you know separation of church and state or communism or whatever it may be there's there's actual moral responsibility and it makes it more difficult so yeah uh, our world is a broken place there is no human system yeah. human made system that will ever be a success and will ever last in our world mm-hmm. um, the only solution to it is for Jesus to return and to establish his government here on this planet <laughs> yeah. and then our problems will truly be solved. <laughs> Then we don't have to worry about it. Then we don't have to worry about legislation on pill testing. And <laughs> we haven't finished our rant on pill testing. By oh the way. man, there's still there's so much more. Material. I need to correct. I need to. No, I need to. Uh, some people. Some people were um, um, wondering. Um, okay. About what we were talking about with pill testing. Like, isn't that just, you know, finding out whether you have pills or not, not letting you take them into the festival? No, that's not what pill testing is. Yep. Pill testing is making it legal within the festival and you come and test the pill to find out whether it's dangerous or not. Mm. That's what we just were talking completely about. Just, different just clarifying Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we're going pretty hard against we, we, pill we, testing. And right. if you were confused on what that is, you'd probably think that, well, these guys like four drugs then? Like what? <laughs> and then we're saying how terrible drugs are then and being against pill testing. And if you thought pill testing was trying to find pills on people, then you'd be really confused. <laughs> no, we support the police force and we support what they do in yep. getting drugs off yep. the street, yep. not in what people are doing in enabling drugs to be on the street. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, we are going to press that rant button again sometime soon. I don't know when, whenever it pops back up in the news. But we're off subject. Let's go back to Revelation <laughs> chapter 9 because in yep. Revelation chapter 9 there is a time prophecy. Lawson, verse 5. Okay, the Bible says in Revelation 9 and verse 5, they were told not to kill them but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. Okay, so they can't kill the Roman Empire during this time period, mm-hmm. but they will torture it for five months. Mm-hmm. What does a day symbolize in Bible prophecy? A year. How many days is there in a biblical month? 30. How many days is there in five biblical months? 150. 150. I'm going to write this down. Absolutely. <laughs> I was so embarrassed yesterday when I said, I'm like, I can't believe that just come out of my mouth. Lawson, Lawson said 120. I was like, I'm, I need... Yes, because five threes are 12, right? 
Uh, oh, on oh, air man. too, mind right. you. On air. Not live Lawson, on Lawson, radio. Just, Lawson just knows how to. Just had the biggest brain fart of all time. Like made myself look like the most single arithmetic challenged person on the earth. I love it when you do that, Lawson. It makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, it makes okay. me feel less of a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lyle, but you're still a millennial. But anyways. <laughs> okay, so we need to find out when does... What, how, do you, how do we find a, 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 a starting point for this particular prophecy? Let's find our starting point for this prophecy. So let's... Uh, um, well, actually, let's have a song break. Yeah, let's it's time just, for a song break. Let's just listen to it. Then we will have find a starting point for the prophecy hey, and an ending point. Uh, this is one of the most astounding time prophecies in Scripture. Yeah, I thought you were going to say something, but... Oh, no, it's all good. This is Melvinus. <laughs> in my heart.
and you're back here with Encounter with God on Faith FM. We have another clue for the quiz yes. because nobody has snapped up one of Daniel's friends. Okay, here we here we go. Ooh, another, another clue right there. Big giveaway. Okay. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with me because I would not worship his gods. Okay, somebody that Ooh. Nebuchadnezzar got angry with and was a friend of Daniel and whose other name was Hananiah. Yeah, so if you know who that is, give us a call, 1-800-324-843. Hananiah, a.k.a. Uh, <laughs> 1-800-324-843, you will get a prize. But back into our section, our encounter with God, our Bible study, coming to what has been proclaimed by Lyle as, as one of the most interesting and profound time prophecies. Lyle, what are we looking at here? Yeah, we are looking at uh, prophecy about the prophetic rise of Islam. Okay, sweet. And we've been looking at some of the history mm-hmm. involved in that and uh, just, yeah, some really, truly amazing stuff. We are about to get into the, well, out of all the time prophecies of the Bible, this one has the most specific fulfillment of any. Yeah. The great thing about it is that it happens in recent enough history that we can deal with exact Days. Mm. All right? Wow. So days. 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 You can give a date to the start of the prophecy, which is going to give you a date for the end of the prophecy. Wow. So a lot of time prophecies are fulfilled exactly to the year. So, for instance, your 70-week prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, um, you know, it, 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 uh, it gives you the year of Jesus' baptism. It gives you mm-hmm. the year of his death. It gives you the year that the gospel goes to the Gentiles. The exact year. Mm-hmm. And that's super impressive when you see it fulfilled, mapped out on a chart. It's like, wow, that is just yeah. mind-blowingly accurate. The uh, your, your 538, 1798, 1260-day prophecy, mm-hmm. once again, it gives you an exact year as to when these prophecies are going to be fulfilled. This one gives you the exact day. Wow. Now, cop this. Okay. Okay, so the whole principle, the whole concept of, uh, um, or the, I guess the popularity of studying time prophecies and using the day for year principle really came into a f- came into the fore in the uh, early eighteen hundreds, mm-hmm. and it's during that time period that people began to study this one that I'm about to share with you. They found the start date for it and the start day for it, and uh, they said, "Okay, this prophecy is going to come to end on this date." Mm-hmm. The 11th of October, 1840 is what they said. This prophecy will come to an end on the 11th of October, 1840. Guess what happened on the 11th of October, 1840? What happened? It was fulfilled. It came to an end. Wow. Bam. You know, which gives so much credibility Mm. to Bible prophecy. It gives so much credibility to what the Bible says. It gives so much credibility to the method of interpretation Mm. used. Um, So, yeah, this is really really outstanding stuff. So, we need to find um, (coughs) a start date. The Bible says, uh, let's uh, read for us verse 10. Okay. So verse 10 is sort of summarizing, you know, what it's talked about up to this point. Okay. The Bible says in Revelation 9 and verse 10, they had tails that stung like scorpions and for five months they had the power to torment people. Okay. So we already read that back in verse Mm 5. So it's a repetition of verse 5, but... This time it's come back to talk about this five-month period more specifically because it wants to focus in on this time prophecy and give us some details in relationship to it, particularly the start date of it. Okay, so here's what it says. 
Their power was to hurt men or torment men for five months. The very next word is the word and. Now, and is a connecting word, Mm. right? And they had a king over them. Mm. So this is interesting. Because when we find the rise of Islam earlier on in the passage, the Bible describes them as being locusts just spreading out over the whole earth like a cloud mm-hmm. permeating everywhere. Yeah, uh, which you know indicates that you know these are all you know they're, they're, they're kind of like mini tribes. They are um, you know uh, they're, they're united by their religion, but they're not united politically. But when you say they have a king over them. Now you have political unity for Islam. Mm. Now what you're going to see is the rise of, um, you know, the Islamic Caliphate or you know what we might call the Islamic in- Empire. Mm. And of course, the first person to um, <coughs> to actually pull this off um, was Ottoman mm. or Ottoman or Osman, um, who was actually a Turk. Yeah, he founds what is called the Ottoman Empire. Mm. Okay, so here we've got to look very specifically at the specifications of the prophecy. Their power was to hurt men for five months, and they had a king over them. So what we've got to look for is a date. When did they receive the power to hurt men? In other words, when did they start to hurt the Roman Empire? Yeah. With a king over them. Mm. So those are your two specifications right here. And what you find is that uh, Ottman comes to power. Um, he comes to power in, tw- in 1258. He unites Islam, forms a caliphate. Uh, he then, you know, musters an army together and decides that the Roman Empire is going to be his. He wants to expand his empire, his caliphate. That's what, you know, people do. Mm. He crosses the border... On the 27th of July, 1299. So the first time that he, that they have a king over them and they are hurting the Roman Empire takes place on the 27th of July, 1299. Yep. Okay, so that fulfills the specification of the prophecy. Mm-hmm. The Bible says that they will then torment for a period of five months, but they won't be able to kill. Five months, day for a year principle, we find that you have 150 days, which equals 150 years. So for a period of 150 years, we are going to expect uh, the Ottoman Empire or the Islamic you know, Empire to torment the Eastern Roman Empire and not be able to kill it. Mm. And that's exactly what you have that begins at this particular point right here is a period of 150 years of constant warfare between Eastern Rome and what we might often refer to today as you know the Byzantine Empire mm. and the Islamic Empire. And the Islamic Empire is able to, to inflict a tremendous amount of pain but not destroy the Eastern Roman Empire. Mm. But at the end of that 150 years, you would expect a change to take place, wouldn't you? Yeah. Because at the end of that 150 years, you're going to find that now they do have the opportunity to hurt. And it's interesting how the Eastern Roman Empire comes to an end. Fascinating history. Mm. <clears throat> when you come down to the the end of this time period, you're now down to the year 1449. So 150 years later brings you to 1449. And in the year 1449, the sultan of the time was a man by the name of Amarath. Yep. 
he was a very mild mannered man. He was a very peaceable man. He was somebody who uh, was much more in favour of peace than war. Mm. And uh, you have um, in the Eastern Rome, you have John Paleogolus, who dies, and his brother Constantine the Thirteenth comes to power. But before he does, he asks permission from Amarath. Mm. Now, the moment you ask permission, that is a to come to power, to come to the throne of the Roman Empire. That means you have now voluntarily transferred sovereignty. Yeah. So the transfer, and this is going to be very important, particularly when we get down to the end of the prophecy. It was a voluntary transfer of sovereignty that took place in 1449. And now uh, the Eastern Roman Empire is owned by Islam. We're going to do it with a lot more history. We've only just cracked, scratched the surface. So much more to come. This is Matthew Cole.
to Faith FM, positively different radio. Hello, Jackie speaking. Hi, Jackie. I've just cleaned and polished my motorcycle. Who can I ride with? Why not ride with us? Who's us? Adventist Motorcycle Ministry. What is Adventist Motorcycle Ministry? Adventist Motorcycle Ministry is a Christian motorcycle riders group. We are drug and alcohol free. Rides are normally on the first Sunday of each month. Are other riders welcome? Yes, of course. But they need to be aware that AMM is drug and alcohol free. Where can I find out more information? Just ring Jeff on 0458-000-505. Yes, call Jeff on 0458-000-505 for more details. That number again is 0458-000-505.
was Matt Mayer with Your Love Defends Me here on Faith FM. Just before we uh, get into the question of the day, we have another clue for the quiz. Are you ready? One last clue. Let's have it. Meshach, Abednego, and I survived the fiery furnace. Who is that? Meshach, Abednego, who is, and who, who is, is missed out? That. Who is that? Give us a call, 1-800-324-843. You will. I'm so trying so des- desperately hard price. not to say this name. Yeah, it's like just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does roll off you the know. tongue. Da-da, <coughs> Meshach and Abednego just... In fact, saying Meshach and Abednego without saying this name is almost kind of hard. It's like, oh. But, Lyle, question of the day. Question of the day. You what ready? I got, Lawson? Yes, okay. I'm ready. Let's go. Does the Bible teach eye for an eye? Yes. Okay. Sweet. Cool. Is that it? That's it. The Bible teaches eye for an eye. So, you're telling me that if you hit my car, then I can hit your car? No. If you hit my eye, I can hit your eye. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I understand that you do want some more explanation on this. And yes. so what you've got to, because you'll find that the Old Testament says an eye for an eye and the New Testament says no, mm. not an eye for an eye. Jesus says no, not an eye for an eye. So why does Jesus say that? Is Jesus contradicting what the Bible says? Um, in fact, if you go to um, Matthew chapter 5, I'm just looking for it right here, in verse 38 it says, You have heard that it has been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, Resist not evil, but whoever shall smite you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue you at law to take away your coat, give him also your cloak. And so Jesus here teaches a spirit of non-retaliation, Whereas in the Old Testament, um, in, in in the Old Testament theocracy, there is the principle of an eye for an eye. So why does Jesus teach that? Is he contradicting what the Bible says in the Old Testament? The answer is no. There is no contradiction between these two passages. What you have in the Old Testament is a number of different laws. You have the Ten Commandments, you have the ceremonial law, you have the laws of health and hygiene, and you have the laws of the theocracy. Mm-hmm. These were the civil laws of the government of Israel, a government by God. Mm. And, of course, civil laws have certain civil penalties. One of those civil penalties was that if you maliciously attack me and destroy my eye, the penalty for that is that you will lose an eye. Here in Australia, you might get X amount of years in prison. Um, under the civil penalties of ancient Israel, you would lose an eye. Mm. And, and so this was, you know, that was, that was the punishment for that. Now, of course, the theocracy begins in the time of Moses and extends through until the Babylonian invasion. After the Babylonian invasion, they come under Babylonian rule, followed by Persian rule, followed by Greek rule, followed by Roman rule. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the time of Jesus, they are under Roman rule, so they're living under Roman civil legislation. They are not living under um, the, the theocracy of, yeah. of, of Israel. Yeah. They're not living under the, the civil legislation of the theocracy of Israel. So first of all, you cannot apply the eye for an eye principle because it's not a principle, it's a law. You cannot apply that in the modern era or in any other era other than the theocracy of ancient Israel. You cannot use it as a principle of retaliation. It was not an issue of retaliation or revenge. That was not the, the purpose behind it. It was simply a civil law. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you, do, if you take my eye out today, you go to court, you go to prison for, say, five years, that is not retaliation. That is the civil penalty. Yeah. 
And that's basically what I for an eye is. Yeah, and, and people were using that in the New Testament times as a principle for retaliation. Well, if you do this to me, then I've got the right to do it to you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. This is not about retaliation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you lose an eye under Roman rule, then you go to a Roman court and the Romans will meet out their civil punishment for what is involved at that particular yeah, time, wow. what that might be. Jesus says, look, don't retaliate. Love your enemies. Do good to those that, um, <coughs> let me just read it for you. Uh, Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those which despitefully use you and persecute you. Mm. That does not mean that you do not take them to court. That does not mean that they do not suffer civil penalties. If you attack me and you maliciously destroy my eye, you will go to court. You will suffer civil penalties. Mm. I will forgive you for that. I will visit you in prison. I will try and lead you to Christ so that you know, and this is not revenge that I'm getting. This is simply a uh, civil penalty that is taking place. And so there's no contradiction between either one of those two passages, just two different circumstances. This is Eric and Monique.
You're listening to Eric and Monique as Lawson goes running out of his chair, looking for desperately looking for the giveaway of today because he has been so busy having a a, a rant and entertaining us with his humour here for the last song break that he has neglected to organise. Here it is. Here it comes. He has neglected to organise the uh, the free giveaway for today. Okay, he's back. What are you giving away, Lawson? What has come out of the prize box? Giving away a book. And it's called How to Survive Armageddon. Okay, so we've been talking about, uh, you know, the prophetic rise of Islam mm-hmm. and the Armageddon that was kind of created during the medieval period as a result of that. Yeah. Uh, but the Bible talks about a much bigger Armageddon coming at the end of time, mm-hmm. World War Three, if you want to call it that. The Battle of Armageddon. How are you going to survive what is coming on the earth? Ooh, how What's are your you plan, Lawson? Awesome? Where are you going to hide? Oh. Cat the out the back uh, yeah, here? Yeah, I think, I think I'm just going to, like, you know, make my own basement. Just oh, you're like, going to make a bomb, bomb, yeah, shelter? bomb shelter? Bomb shelter. There just do go. the doomsday prepper thing. Like, make my uh-huh. bomb shelter. Buy, like, 70 or 80 years worth of You know what Lawson's going to do? Lawson's going to accidentally lock himself in there, and 50 and years later, someone's going to dig him out. <laughs> <laughs> Rip. Maybe, like, 70 years old. Like, yes, I haven't seen the civilized world. <laughs> I survived what has, what off baked beans and 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 uh, and, and and salted. Meats. Okay, you cannot survive Armageddon that way, but you can survive Armageddon. And this book is by John C. Brunt is going to tell you exactly how to survive Armageddon. Mm. Um, outstanding little book. Give us a call right now. You don't need to answer any quiz clues or anything otherwise. Just give us a call on one 843 or text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. And just simply be the first person to contact us or by any of our social medias, of course. And this little book will be yours for free. Don't forget, stay tuned. We will be back right after this.
back the life I owe That in thine ocean depths its flow May richer, fuller be O light that followest all my way I yield my flickering torch to thee Stores its borrowed ray that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. O oh, joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trade.